Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Perhaps the dollar had just had enough of experts. At the start of 2018, most analysts and many investors expected it to slip back as the US reflation trade ran out of breath. And yet, as we enter the last quarter of the year, the index tracking it is up over 4% since January 1. I'm Michael Hunter, and this is Hard Currency from the Financial Times. With me to take a tour of the world's largest and most liquid market is Stephen Gallo, European Head of FX Strategy at the Bank of Montreal. Welcome, sir. And how surprised were you by this sustained dollar strength and what's going on with it? Uh, yes, we we were surprised by it, and we've had to revise up our our dollar calls for most of the year. I think the thing that is different, or the things that are different in this cycle, in comparison with earlier cycles, where strong global growth, despite Fed hiking, has led to a weaker dollar. In this case, it's led to a stronger dollar. The things that are different in this cycle are the America First narrative and the U.S. fiscal stimulus. And the fact that during the global financial crisis or just after the global financial crisis, the developed world went into a deleveraging phase while the emerging world relevered. And the combination of those things, whilst central banks are exiting from unorthodox monetary policies, which has never been done before, has contributed to a stronger dollar and the emergence of vulnerabilities elsewhere in the world. And that has set the tone across the entire FX market, hasn't it? And left this week, emerging markets looking particularly badly exposed. And I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that is one thing that is important to point out. Really not much has changed. Even though the dollar is pretty much close to its highs for the year, we're still in the same situation now that we were in back in March, April, when the market wake, but, woke up to these facts. But some quite big swings this week. I mean, how much attention was that getting on your dealing floor? Were, were, were we getting tense when we were looking at those numbers? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the issue is that the dollar has just not been able to sell off sustainably. And one of the reasons for that is because within G10 – it's a high-yielding currency. And then, of course, on a risk-adjusted basis, it's still, from in comparison to many vulnerable emerging markets, it's still the better trade to be long dollars. Remember, if you're short dollars in this environment versus the most liquid majors, it costs you money to hold that yeah. position. And we're looking at a read across in wider markets, aren't we, from these funding concerns? I mean, EM markets, emerging markets that depend on external Financing yes. have got problems now, haven't they? They have had. It, it is not the case, though. I mean, we, if you look at the cross-currency basis, as you look at various indicators, which will tell you the degree of funding stress in markets, it is not the case that this supposed dollar shortage has led to major funding constraints. Balance sheets of the world's major financial institutions are in much better shape now than they were in previous cycles prior to the global financial crisis, etc. But I think what the cracks, the exposure of the cracks does tell you is that we could get to a situation where funding stress is intense around quarter end, around year end, around month end, uh, but particularly around those big dates that, that, that surround the, the 
the the handover from one period to the next. And are you taking any measures around those kind of dates? Are you looking at particular indicators for an uptick in volatility or? Uh, well, yes. I mean, you know, f- f- around month end, quarter end, and year end, you're going to see a lot more focus uh, on things like the cross currency basis, on various indicators, which will tell you the degree of stress or not in in funding markets. More so than usual, do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. And we've 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 had some very hairy situations around month end, quarter quarter end, year end uh, in in the past few years, but. This year could even even be different. It, it it offers the potential for for some pretty big dislocations. That's going to keep us busy, I think, as we move further and deeper into the fourth quarter of twenty eighteen. Um, but in the meantime, a quick look at the euro. Um, now, have has has the outlook for better economic fundamentals and the beginning of the end of the ECB, the European Central Bank's crisis era stimulus given way to more worries about political risk. I mean, we're looking at Italy, we're looking at other factors within the Eurozone. What's your take on that, Stephen? Yes, it has. I mean, the short answer to your question is yes, it has. I, I think how I would sum all this up, Michael, is just by saying that the ECB is increasingly in a tricky spot or finding itself in a, in a, in a tricky spot. Um at this stage, given what's going on with Italian credit spreads, given uh, rising political risk, ECB hawkishness is a catch-22, both for the euro uh, and potentially for the ECB as well. Um, ECB hawkishness, you know, it may be appropriate to, for example, respond to the uptick in, in energy prices um, because of the impact that will have on uh, on headline inflation and potentially further down the line, even core inflation. But at the same time, ECB hawkishness could exacerbate some of the moves we're seeing in Italian credit. So they're in a very difficult spot. My gut feeling, is, our view, is that the catch-22 will ultimately result in a weaker euro. And are you worried that when the ECB stops buying Italian bonds that they'll be very few people left to do so or significantly fewer. What do you reckon about that? Not instantly, unless there is a dramatic swing in expectations to the downside for global growth and domestic economic conditions. We haven't had that yet. In fact, there's enough evidence to suggest that the output gap in the eurozone continues to close. There's pockets of weakness, like, for example, the Italian economy has slowed um, pretty substantially, I would say, throughout 2018. But for the most part, the broader economy in the eurozone remains on track to close the output gap probably this time next year, let's let's say. Um, But the ECB stopping QE, like so many other issues we're looking at in the global economy, it does expose cracks. It leaves countries vulnerable because of the incomplete financial architecture of the eurozone and that's not going to change anytime soon that financial architecture some things change some things stay the same uh, obviously those euro problems are going to be with us uh, we've seen that outlook revision for the dollar that has been made more widely across the market um when we're looking towards other currencies outside of the uh, outside of the the, the the big majors or the, or the main majors, um, what's your idea on what's happening with the changing outlook for wider global growth? Um, we, we've got a rosier picture for U.S. growth, which is helping the dollar. Um, we have a thornier impact, perhaps, from the trade dispute elsewhere. What do you think that means for for growth and commodity linked currencies like the dollars of Australia and Canada. I think it's pretty straightforward at this stage, uh, Michael. Um, they're going to struggle to make significant upward momentum. 
in terms of actual levels and figures in uh, Aussie dollar versus the value of the U.S. dollar, I think there's a real risk that we will hover below the 70 level. I think we'll see levels sub-70 before we see levels closer to 75. Uh, That's, of course, also linked to the U.S.-China trade impasse uh, as well, the weakness in the Aussie. Um, But but yes, I mean, the, the financial markets have been ahead of the game for most of 2018, FX in particular. They've looked at a number of the key things that I spoke about earlier in the podcast, America First narrative, fiscal stimulus, the cracks in uh, emerging market debt, uh, the cracks appearing in emerging markets because of their high debt levels in some cases. They've been ahead and they've looked ahead and they've priced in um, some pretty difficult conditions. And here's the other thing, Michael, as well. We have to remember that it's not just the Fed that's normalizing policy. If you look at the annual growth rates of the balance sheets, and I'm talking from the SNB to the ECB, even the BOJ, their balance sheet growth is slowing. So at some point, if things continue as they are in 2019, these central banks will all at once be shrinking their balance sheets. And we can all have something to look forward to there. (laughs) Uh, Now, very quickly, what about the pound? Uh, Much depends on Brexit, of course. We're looking at a $1.30 level on cable. We're looking at about 89 pence required to buy a euro. Um, Is it all about what kind of deal we get, if any? Is there anything else there at the moment in the market for Brexit in in a nutshell? It's basically just staying right where it is for the time being. Um, One reason it can't rally is because there are so many difficult and clouded risks to look through. So risk and uncertainty is generally a currency negative. We have that, and that's why we're not at 135. But the reason I think that we're not also significantly below 130 at this stage is because so many clouded uh, risks and so many different possibilities, the market thinks, well, will possibly get to a soft Brexit or some type of fudgery, hey, even a new referendum, if if that's even possible, um, which would prevent a cliff edge. The only thing that the FX market is concerned about right now is will there or will there not be a cliff edge? Our view is that there won't be a cliff edge, but before we get to some type of a fudge deal, time-limited transition arrangement, whatever, <laughs> um, we will have increasing chances of a cliff edge Brexit as the impasse continues and the market will price it in and sterling goes lower. As ever, a lot to watch in the FX market and beyond. Maybe there will be bluebirds over that Brexit cliff edge. Who knows? Um, but thanks for listening to this week's Hard Currency. It's the last in our long-running FX-specific series. We will be back soon with a, a new look, wider markets podcast. Please stay tuned to your usual podcast source for that. Until next time, from me, Michael Hunter... Alice Ross, the inventor of hard currency, and long-standing presenters Katie Martin and Roger Blitz. Very many thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can keep up with all the latest news and analysis at ft.com slash markets and at FastFT. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 